Before we begin today's show, the number one challenge for most e-commerce businesses, shipping. And these days, customers expect it to be flawless. I know I do. That's why you need Shippo. Shippo is the only shipping software for growing businesses that you can start today. Set it up in minutes and then ship today. That's because they ship hundreds of millions of packages. Shippo's volume discounts save you up to 90% off carrier rates. Simply connect to your online store to Shippo. No coding or technical experience required. They instantly identify the lowest shipping rates from 55-plus global carriers like UPS, USPS, FedEx, and DHL. Your orders are automatically pulled in and ready to go. Just click, print, and ship. Plus, automated return labels are free, and you only pay for it if your customers use them. Customers that use Shippo save thousands of dollars, free up hours of valuable time, and on average, grow 77% year over year. Join over 100,000 companies like Goat, Hims, and MeUndies who are saving up to 90% off carrier rates with Shippo. And for our listeners, they're offering their best discount available anywhere. Get a shipping consultation and Shippo's pro plan six-month free trial. Go to Shippo.com slash hoop. That's up to $700 value for free. Go to Shippo.com slash hoop. That's S-H-I-P-P-O dot com slash hoop. Go right now and get shipping consultation and Shippo pro plan six-month trial for free at GoShippo.com slash hoop. And as you know, there's a bit of phenomenon going on right now with The Last Dance, ESPN's 10-part docu-series chronicling the untold story of the 1990s Chicago Bulls dynasty. And there are some untold stories, a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Uh, but if that's not enough for you, a new episode of Detail on ESPN Plus premieres this Sunday with Steve Kerr, who breaks down Game 2 of the 1998 NBA Finals, which the Bulls won 93-88 at Utah to even the series 1-1. You can sign up now and get that and a whole bunch more at ESPNplus.com. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. A-Team returns in the correct time slot midweek. Joining us from Boston is Jackie McMullen. Jackie, I hope you're doing well. I am. They keep building on my in-home studio, Brian. I have so many things in there now. Bells and whistles. Very fun. I have Big to mind. say, though, like having seen a couple of your first appearances, it needed to be built up. No offense. I understand. It was I a little understand. bit It was a little bit um, Spartan. Well, I think you'll like what you see this Sunday. All right? All right. Um, so real quick, just well, first off, uh, Tim McMahon joining us. Uh, back-to-back podcast for Tim. Uh, Tim, I hope you're doing well. Hope the Lean Cuisine Pizza is uh, holding out. So um, the NBA has a quagmire here, and uh, I actually think that it is going I – I think I mentioned this on a podcast the other day, but maybe I, I can't remember. I think this is going to set up what we are going to see in sports all over in the next few months. The NBA's issue right now is, is that there are certain states that are allowing – more activity than other states. Georgia is at the forefront of it, and that's why the Hawks are in there. At the same time, Georgia is loosening restrictions um, this Friday. California just increased their stay-at-home order another month to the end of May. Um, 
And But see, guys, what I think is that this is an issue the NBA is dealing with today, but the bigger issues are coming down the line. And that's at some time later this year when there's going to be certain states where there's going to still be the rule about you know 50 people or 10 people, whatever it is, and other states are going to be like, come on in and let's play basketball. And there may even be some states by the fall that says, hey, you can even open – um, and bring in fans on a limited basis. You can have you know, a pocket of fans here, then an empty row pocket of fans there. And I think this will be a big issue in football where I think you'll see certain areas, specifically the South, say let's play football, and other areas like the West Coast say there's not going to be a football played, and I don't know what you're going to do about that. Um, and the NBA, Jackie, has – really taken steps i mean they adam silver said several times in in appearances and interviews do not expect us to say anything until after may 1st we are waiting until after may 1st to do anything and here we are they're in april and they're having to mess with going back and forth because of this issue which i think is going to be a be a problem. I don't know what the answer is here, Jackie. I just know that this is that this is going to be really hard to figure out. Well, I think the answer is this. There's just sometimes things are more important than whether your team gets to play basketball. I mean, and I'm not trying to be flippant either. I just think we're at a point where, and I I, I believe that the league feels this way that there just there are bigger issues than whether the Hawks players can get into their facility a couple of weeks before another team. And here's why I think this, because the equalizer is this, that the league, if they come back, and that's still a big if, it feels like a bigger if every day to me because the runway is getting shorter and shorter. If, in fact, they do that, they're going to have a minimum of four weeks of training camp. And I think the league feels that while this isn't ideal to have some places open sooner than others, that that four-week time period where teams will have training camps, that that will balance out, if you want to call it the competitive disadvantage. And I think they're right. Now, if teams are really hell-bent on feeling that they're being, you know, they're at a disadvantage because the Hawks can get together at their practice facility only four at a time, I believe, uh, then if you want to fly your team to Atlanta and quarantine there and do that, you can but I think I think what the league's position is like this is just a what's going on right now is just it's bigger than whether some teams can have four players go to their practice facility. Well, McMahon, um, the Lakers, Dave McMenamin reported that the Lakers asked for special permission to I don't know if they asked for the city of L.A. or the state of California so that they could do this be, for this very reason. Um, I know Texas is. Am I correct in saying that Texas is releasing is um, they are. Uh, it's a slow rollout that's starting this weekend, despite the fact that I believe there were more positive coronavirus cases today in the state than there have been any other day. Um, I, they're not opening gyms yet. It's, it's like 25% capacity in restaurants and other really stupid ideas. So, but I mean, it, it could be coming where the Mavericks, Rockets, Spurs, they may be more ahead of the curve than say, you know, because I, you know, like with the then, situation, then the Lakers, Clippers, I mean, and and look, like honestly, who can like the Hawks could be having two days. Who gives a crap? They're not going to playoffs. <laughs> like, who gives a crap? Well, he's you know, right now, about that. He's right about that. So, I mean, seriously. So, so like, for example, 
if it's Oklahoma and the Thunder are a playoff team, okay, I can see where you're talking about an advantage or the Jazz or, you know, we can go around various small markets that, that, uh, you know, might be opening up sooner and would have that advantage. But Jackie's right. Like, dude, look, there's going to be a significant training camp. Guys are going to have plenty of time to fine tune their shots. You know, they're doing what they can to stay in shape now. They're going to have at least three plus four weeks to, you know, try to get, you know, as close to game shape as possible. And I just, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that aren't, the the playing field is never completely level. That's just life. That's the NBA. I mean, look, okay, Oklahoma City, maybe they'll get a few extra jump shots in the practice facility. Well, they also had their faces of the franchise say, hey, we need to get traded to major market teams because we ain't getting it done here. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's Anthony the great Davis irony. Won, Anthony Davis <laughs> wasn't forcing a trade to Salt Lake City or OKC. I can promise you that. That's the great irony, isn't it? The small market teams for once in their life actually have an advantage. That's the great <laughs> irony. Well, the thing is, I, I, I don't know if everybody felt this way, um, but I got the impression that there was like, oh, the NBA is beginning to open back up again. Um, they're on the path to recovery, and I, I want to stop short. I don't think that I don't think that that's we should equate that. No, that's yeah. not. Well, what's I happening. think some people it's are making that connection. Basketball. Yeah, I think you're right, Brian. But this is completely separate from basketball, and uh, in some ways, it really has nothing to do with basketball. Now, listen, I, I've been writing stories and talking to people, and talked to a couple of GMs actually the day before yesterday. Some from um, markets that won't be open for a while, and they just didn't sound. I mean. You know, they're like, well, I think Adam's doing his best to try to make this as level a playing field as they can. But I didn't hear anybody alarmed or furious or outraged because guess what? That's the wrong response in right. this environment. It just is. Yeah, I think one of the, I talked to some teams that, you know, they just like, listen, we got a bunch of young guys. They're all in apartments. Their gyms are closed in their apartments. We just got to get our guys doing physical activity again. Um that's not on Zoom, where they really can't keep an eye on them. So um, we'll see. I mean, I um, I hope it's the beginning of progress. I hope it's. I hope in three or four weeks, all of a sudden, we're like, hey, uh, now we can. We're at a place where we can uh, start actually bringing four people that can be in the same half court because right now, they can't be in the same half court. The, the way it, the way I have read it, um, you come in and yes, you can have three other teammates there, but you're going to all be separate. Mm-hmm. And the closest anybody can get to you is 15 feet. And the person who's rebounding for you is going to have to wear gloves and practically a hazmat suit. And as soon as you walk in the door, you're going to have your temperature taken. And then you're going to, you're going to give over your keys and your phone and they're going to be dipped in, um, in Clorox. And then you can't use any of the hydro. Um, you can't, I don't, I think as I read this, unless correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't use like the hot tub or the cold tub or the underwater treadmill or that. And I, I don't, I don't remember. Are they allowed to shower there? Um, I don't remember, but I mean, I, I just think it's like, you know, I'll say this too, because let's not be naive people. Everything you just described, once those four guys walk into that practice facility, we have no idea what's going to happen. You're right. Well, and, and look, the other thing is, I think it's naive to assume that every NBA player has been following the stay-at-home orders to the, you know, to the That's letter true. of the law. Like guys have, been, I'm not saying all of them, but there are 
a lot of guys who've been working out that are, isn't necessarily following letter of the law. And so that's where I think NBA teams are like, hey, at least if they're working out at our facility, we can take all the necessary precautions, make sure it's as safe right. as possible, supervise it. Yeah, that's a good point. Instead so, of 10 guys going to Gold's Gym, which technically I suppose the Atlanta Hawks could do based on this loosening of the guidelines. Yeah. So in China, the teams have been practicing for a month to six weeks. Now, since they've gone on their um, most recent uh, halt order, they've disbanded a little bit and let some guys go home. But there have been guys practicing there for over a month now. And um, no reported cases, although who knows how truthful it would be. But I think if it was a basketball player, we may have heard about it. But um so there is some of that that's gone on over there that is, um, you know, it hasn't slowed them down in terms of the, they've kept practicing. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. But um, it's just an interesting – it's the first of many difficult decisions that the uh, that the NBA is going to have in the, in the coming months. And uh, a lot of people are going to be watching pretty closely at this because this is – you know, um, I assume there's baseball players hitting in cages places – you know, I, I assume pitchers are throwing off mounds places. I think there's probably other other pro athletes doing mm-hmm. stuff. It's just the NBA is so I mean, closely hell, watched. Hell, NFL guys, you've got the freaking, you know, Dak Prescott and some of the Cowboys receivers working out with Des Bryant. Des's little personal trainer was recording the stuff and posting it on Instagram. Like, what in the world are you thinking about, you idiots? Right. Right. Um, all right. Well, I did want to bring up something. That came up on the last dance on Sunday. Um, and our coverage of the last dance is brought to you by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And the coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. Jackie, I thought of you when I was watching. We talked about Rodman last week. Um, right. And that, was, that was good stuff. Um, uh, I had never heard of the, uh, the midseason vacation before. Wasn't that yeah. unbelievable? What great detail that was. That was mm-hmm. so good. So let me ask you this. If you're, yeah. if you're a, a modern day NBA player, because really the, the reason Rodman was able to go on that trip was because he was so good. And Phil and Michael realized that they needed him to be right. And that if they didn't acquiesce, he was probably going to, you know, going to pout for another month and that they wouldn't get good play. You know, basically they did it because he was good. Um, now you could, now there are people who I've talked to in the last few days who argue that this actually still happens in the NBA. Because there are certain guys who, you know, with load management consider that vacation. I don't think that's comparable, and I shut that no. right down. I go, uh, no, I don't think that's quite going to Vegas for a few days with Carmen Electra. Sorry. Well, but, and, um, and there's guys who might sneak in a, an off day trip to Vegas. You know, getting the oh, yes. private jet. I mean, that. Well, happens. the the guy on uh, your Rockets team is famous yes. for that. Yes. Hey, look, every time I see someone is out with the flu and they're only out for one day, I'm like, they don't have the flu. They're hungover. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. sometimes. But, but anyway, but I, 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 I always I love the story that Tom Haverstrow, our former colleague at ESPN, he's now at NBC, tells. He went to a bachelor party in Las Vegas the day that J.R. Smith returned to the NBA with the Knicks. He had been in China. He signed with the Knicks and his first game was a Sunday afternoon Noon game at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Tom, Tom was in the Las Vegas airport taking a red eye after after he had gone to a bachelor party for the weekend, and sitting next sitting at the next gate over was Jr. taking a red eye to New York. Jeez. Um, 
uh, years ago, and JR won sixth man of the year in New York. But uh, if JR Smith had this kind of uh, ability back in his prime, he would have taken it. So I want to know, you know, if that just emboldens some guys to say, hey, Rodman got away with it. Why can't I get away with it? Now, um, see, I, I, think it, I think this is so much more to do with Phil Jackson than anything else. This is why Phil Jackson, to me, is one of the greatest coaches of all time because of the way he connects with players. And, it, you know, he's so disarming, Phil Jackson. You know that little Chesser grin he gives you, you know. He's just a very disarming guy. But the most disarming thing about him is, is he's just – there's no BS. He just sort of – Says, all right, yeah, you're like Dennis, man. Yeah, we got to let him go to Vegas. I mean, Jordan didn't want him to go. This Clearly. Was, yeah, this was Phil. Phil's Jordan's like, no, still no. angry about it 20 years later. Yeah, right. But <laughs> Phil, Phil's like, no, no, this is what we need to do with him. And and think about it. It was kind of genius in a way. So Phil says to, to Dennis Rodman, all right, I'm going to let you go to Vegas for the weekend. And when you come back, you're going to be my X factor. You're going to help me win a championship because I am letting you do this and I am trusting you to do this. So when you come back, you're going to give me everything you have. And you know what? That's what happened. That is what happened. Yeah, and and it's one thing. Like we're talking about guys sneaking off to Vegas on off days. It's another thing when you're missing practices. You know, and you're did he miss games? I I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know that story. No. Yeah. No. I mean, it was all, it was not very well known, obviously, at the time when this was happening. Right. Well, in, t- in today's day and age, well, well, a lot of these guys fly private now, but back then, I'm sure Dennis was not flying private. He was probably just, you know, boarding a United flight for Las Vegas on some Wednesday afternoon. Sure. And right. somebody on Twitter would be like, uh, why is Dennis Rodman flying with me to Vegas? Right. But of course, um, there was no Twitter. There were no cell no, phones. Of course, there not. were none of this. There was landlines. He so, might have flown private. Eddie Sefko tells a great story. That he's uh, with Mavs.com now, but he, uh, he covered the Rockets for the Houston Chronicle back in the day, in, including during Barkley's time. And he tells a great story about when Barkley, after an All-Star game, says, hey, I got a scoop. Uh, I got a scoop for you. Come with me to Vegas. And Eddie's like, I can't. What are you talking with me to Vegas? He's like, I got a private jet. Come on. We'll, I'll fly. But, you know, I'm going back to Houston after that. Come with me to Vegas. He ends up going to Vegas, and, and Barkley. The scoop was Barkley was going to be uh, was going to transition in the six man role, but that was Barkley kind of deciding last minute. Hey, I want to go to Vegas. Well, let me just say, Charles Barkley and Dennis Rodman were two different uh, profiles in terms of uh, salary. <laughs> so True, just, but my, Rodman was was scraping by though. Okay, let's not assume it was the four. Let's just, I, I, let's I just think, say think, you were I in think the mirage. Was a pretty good little supplementary income source okay. as well. All right. Well, let's just say you were in the Mirage and you saw Dennis Robin at the, at the blackjack table. You might have had the same reaction and tweeted it. Um, so the interesting thing that has gotten all the reaction, and Jackie, I just, you know, I, I, I am indifferent to this. And um, this is just clear in many different ways. It's clear all the time that I'm not an NBA player. Um, I'm indifferent to the uh, idea of, of the not shaking of hands. Um Guy, I like LeBron got roasted for it at one time, but there have been plenty of other times where I've seen guys like, and all I, I can't say for sure, but I, I know 
positively that KG, after LeBron vanquished him in the playoffs two or three times in a row, KG had no interest in shaking his hand, and no one said anything about that. James um, Harden sure as hell wasn't shaking Warriors' hands the last oh, couple no. of years. Oh, no. Like, like you said. It, it, it's, it goes so much deeper than that, guys. It's it's not as simple as that. To, to suggest that Isaiah Thomas did not make the dream team because he didn't shake Michael Jordan's hand after that game, that is shenanigans with a capital S, okay? This goes way back. And and also, I thought the most fascinating part of this of this last week was Jordan loses again to the Pistons in the conference finals. Loses again third time. And what does he do? He goes up, he shakes everybody's hand, he hugs the guys on the Pistons. Then he does a live interview within seconds that was amazing. being eliminated. And says they're the better team. I'm disappointed, but the, he was so game seven. Yeah, so gracious and handled oh. himself so professionally. I couldn't. I don't remember that. He was so corporate. Yeah, but That's but I'm telling was, you what. I don't care. I don't care what he was. It was unbelievable because you know how sportsmanship's the most overrated thing about sports. No, no, no. Can you let me finish? <laughs> let me finish. Speaking of sportsmanship, the fact that he could do that. Because I know you and everybody that ever covered him knows how ticked off he was, how upset he was, how angry he was. For him to have the self-control, whether it was corporate or not, to do that. And then, of course, we find out later he goes on the team bus. He cries on the team bus. He's miserable all summer. That was an exercise in self-control that most elite athletes can't do because they're mad there, you know, like there's famous stories, a million of them about Magic Johnson losing games and, and, you know, not letting them leave the gym until they play him again because he hates losing that much. Well, no one lose, hates losing more than Michael Jordan. But that's the kind of thing that he felt was the proper way to respect the game, not just respect him, but respect the game. So and even that is just one example of what I'm talking about. Everything that the Pistons were rubbed him the wrong way. Now, it started with the fact that he lost to them. The Pistons were a great team. The one thing I don't like is everybody beating up on the bad boys right now because they won their championship in unbelievable fashion. They played incredible defense. Now, you know, did they hit after the whistle? Yes, they did. In fact, John Sally admitted on this on this dock that it was part of the deal. If you're going to if someone's going to the basket, knock them down. You know, we can debate all day whether that's the right way to play the game or whatever. But let's not diminish what the what the Pistons accomplished with those back-to-back championships. They were great teams and and I they were really fun to watch. I covered them, I enjoyed them. But this goes back to Jordan disliking Isaiah Thomas and it goes before that and I'll bring it up again whether it happened or not, he still believes to this day that Isaiah froze him out of that All-Star game. Mm-hmm. Now, did he? I don't think so because I don't even think you could control the game enough to do that. But but did he welcome Michael Jordan with open arms? Did he say, hey, kid, welcome, here we go? No, I'm sure he didn't. He said, I'm sure he was saying, hey, let's make this kid earn it. But it doesn't matter whether he froze him out on purpose or not. What matters is that Jordan is convinced that he did. And George holds <laughs> and still, a grudge better than to anybody. This day. Oh, yes. Right. And ask Charles Barkley about holding the grudges. Yeah. Because Barkley made some comments about Jordan's choice to run the Bobcats. And they were the best of friends. I'm telling you, they were together all the time. And they're not even speak. They don't even speak to each other anymore. Now, Jordan's so, a legendary grudge holder. And Isaiah Thomas is a historically poor sport. I mean, there was also 
you know, when Rodman, uh, Jack, you were there, when Rodman, the whole, uh, you know, Larry Larry Bird's just getting this attention because he's a white guy. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And and Isaiah co-signed it and took it. You know, that takes it to a totally different level. So he's a a terrible sport. Who gives a crap? The only thing I was disappointed in is that Isaiah, three decades later, is trying to rationalize and just, just say, you know what? I hated losing. I hated the Bulls. They can kiss my ass, so I'm going to shake their hands. Whoop-de-doo. Which is what Bill Lambeer said, because Bill yes. Lambeer is who he is from here to eternity. He's never – he's a genuine – you may not like him, but he's he's as genuine as the day is long. He That's exactly what he said. I didn't like him. I did. We walked off the court. That's what we decided to do. You know, whether the Celtics did that or not to me is is – you know, I suppose it's relevant to some degree, but I don't know if you guys saw this. There was an interview this week in the Boston Globe where John Jennings, one of the Celtics assistants, said that the reason the Celtics walked off the Pontiac Silverdome floor when they lost to the Pistons in the conference finals was for security reasons, because everybody was going to flood out of the stands into from the Silverdome onto the court. And by the way, that's a ton of people. That's what John Jennings claimed that Casey Jones wanted his guys safely in the locker room. Now I called Chris Ford yesterday, who was also an assistant coach, longtime NBA player, hit the first ever NBA three pointer, by the way, for trivia purposes. And uh, we were laughing about it because neither one of us remember I mean, I covered the game. It was not a big well, deal. Well, here's I, what I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I want to point out about the geography. So at the old Palace of Auburn Hills, um, most NBA courts have tunnels at each end of the court. Um, so you go one way, you go the other. Uh, sometimes there's tunnels in the middle of the stands. Um, you know, at the old Madison Square Garden before the renovation, they had the tunnel in the middle where the teams came together. Um in Toronto is uh, one of the only places both teams go down the same tunnel. Uh, but at the at the at the old uh, Palace to get to the home locker room, you, there was only a tunnel at one end. Boy, and this so, was pre-Palace. No, no, this no, you, was at the Palace. No, no, I, it was at the. The, well, the Celtics one was, and it was at the Pontiac Silver. I know, but but this infamous oh, not shaking. Okay, so okay. To, okay. Yeah, yeah, so okay. to get to the locker room, and remember, the game wasn't over yet. To get to the locker room, you had to walk directly in front of the visitor's bench. And so not only did they not shake their hands, which, you know, you can judge itself, but they walked within a foot of those guys right down the bench. And that shot, which was in the documentary, it's a powerful shot. It's kind of like um, in Miami when one of the things about Ray Allen, Ray Allen classic shot, you know, he hits the shot in, the, in game mm-hmm. six to force overtime. The the court is ringed by all the people in the yellow in the yellow uh, <laughs> uh, shirts to for the trophy presentation that was about to bring out the trophy for the Spurs. Um, it's part of the the classic nature of that shot is that th- those people were there. Um, the, the classic thing about this and you know, I'm not saying that Jordan's grudge would have been any different. I'm just saying it. The look was even worse. People don't remember the Celtics maybe not walking off because there's not video footage of the Celtics walking directly past the Pistons bench and giving them the cold shoulder. So, you know, I, I don't know if that was, a, was that big of a deal, but I know that I've always thought the visual of them just literally walking past them. Right. And, but I, and, I guess the larger point, though, Brian, is that we're we're now like – Focusing on minutia and trying to make a determination on minutia. It was a minutia to, to Michael Jordan. That is 
Darn, yeah, no, it is. It is minutia to Michael Jordan because he holds grudges on minutia all the time. Well, That's who but he I, is. I just think it was a bigger. I, I think for Jordan, even it was just bigger than that. I think he just there were many reasons why he didn't like the Detroit Pistons and Isaiah Thomas. The not shaking hands was only one of them. Now maybe that one. So so he would hold the same grudge whether they shook the hands or not. Basically. He was going to find something. If they, had, if they had shaken his hand, you think that Michael Jordan would like the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas? Of course. No. You think you think he would have lobbied for Isaiah to be on the dream team if they if he had, hey good job, go get him in the finals. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's it's one of these classic debates because you can go on on it for hours and. Um, I, I enjoy poor sports. I wish there were more guys <laughs> that's who clear. blatantly poor sports. Here's what Contrast. I think. It's hard to be a good sport, right? Isn't it? In the heat of competition? I mean, right. here, I, feel like, I feel like after high school, you shouldn't have to be. Like, okay, you know, <laughs> when you're in high yeah, okay, I get it. After high school, to hell with it. Of course, I once got in big trouble in a, in a high school football game because I got knocked out of bounds. Like, I was talking trash. I unleashed several expletives. And the headmaster of my boarding school was standing about five feet away with some parents. And we won the game. And I'm getting, like, bitched at after the game. I'm like, screw you. We won the game. If you don't want to hear that stuff, stay in somewhere else. Well, there was a reason why you were at the boarding school. Um, this is true. <laughs> I just – here's what I think. I know Isaiah a little bit, not as well as you do, Jackie. But for Isaiah to sit down – he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew this was Michael's documentary. He knew he was going to get asked about this. He wore a beautiful blue suit for one of the <laughs> nicest um, uh, suits we've seen in the documentary. Certainly more well-dressed than, uh, than Michael. Michael's wearing like uh, camouflage shorts and stuff. And he came ready with that answer. He, he, he knew that this was an opportunity if he he could have uh, changed the discussion on this, and he was like, "Nope, I didn't do it then. I didn't do it 15 years later. I'm not doing it 20 years later. I don't care." And that's one of the things I like about it. He knew what he was saying was going to be prominent, and well, uh, and, the, and the filmmakers knew too, which is why they showed it to Jordan and wanted to get his reaction mm-hmm. on camera. But isn't Isaiah Thomas so well spoken? He really is. He's a very intelligent guy, and he's very well spoken, but. For whatever reason, it's not just Michael Jordan. For whatever reason, there was he has rubbed people the wrong way through the years, and I, you know I, I've always had a great relationship with Isaiah. Uh, I, I think he's I think he should have been on the dream team. He deserved it on the merits of his of his game. He should have been on that that roster. But I think it's wrong to blame just Michael Jordan for reasons that he's not. By the way, do I have to remind you guys that Chuck Daly was the head coach of the Dream Team? Right. If Chuck, if Chuck Daly really wanted Isaiah Thomas on that team, don't you think he could have made that happen? Boy, yeah. Chuck's hair Chuck's hair was in, was in his prime. In yeah, the, uh, Chuck was in the, the best man. You know, it makes me so sad to see him, see those that footage of him. He was just such a special person. And, and you can see the relationship he had with – with Rodman and, and all those guys and just one of the most beloved coaches I've ever been around. Um, 
Uh, and look, also, it, ain't, it ain't like Jordan's the only one who holds the grudge. I mean, Horace Grant referring to the Pistons as straight up <laughs> female dogs three decades later was was, was pretty pretty. That was great. Uh, but I, from what I understand and hearing about the stories uh, in Barcelona um, on the off days, uh, Chuck was racing Jordan to get to the golf course after the practices. Um, oh, they, they played cards till two in the morning. They played they played multiple rounds of golf. They played pool. They drank scotch. They, there was lots of revelry going on. Um, all right. We have a, a voicemail um, that we're going to read here. Um, Andrew, what is the voicemail number 402? Andrew left. Hi, Andrew. He's muted. He's just probably snoring. <laughs> Sorry. There he is. The, uh, the number is 402-316-2955. Hi, this is Mike from Lansing, Michigan, a big fan of the podcast. Thank you for all you do. Um, just uh, recently when you're talking with Jackie, uh, Brian, you had talked about hand checks and just different ways the league has changed defensively over the years. You think we're headed for a league where less of a premium is placed on defensive players? I feel like guys like Ben Wallace, who were undrafted, you know, Michigan, Detroit Pistons guy, so of course I'd use that example, are just underappreciated and uh, don't get the credit that they deserve. And, I mean, guys like Tony Allen and Bruce Bowen that Jackie brought up too, uh, just curious where you think the league's headed defensively. You think uh, Mike's a, uh, a Michigan State fan? He's obviously a Pistons fan, but Michigan State fan, he, he you know, Michigan State players are known for being gritty. Defenders and rebounders. He wants those Michigan State players to keep doing. Well, he, he didn't give a shout out to Draymond. That's true. That's true. Um, so, Jackie, you talked a little bit about the hand checks last week. I actually right. heard from a couple of people in the league who uh, listened to the pod and said, "Hey, I agree with the last thing Jackie said, which was the hand checks." Good the hand checks. Uh, Let's do something about it. <laughs> um, so, here's my twenty years. Uh, involved with the NBA defense, I can sum it up into two paragraphs. When I first started covering the league in the early 2000s, um, the, there was lots of hand checking, there was lots of holding, there was lots of hand fighting. The games after Jordan retired specifically started being 78-73. We had a couple of very, very low-rated finals, uh, the Nadir being Pistons against uh, Spurs 2005. It was a struggle all the way. The league uh, changed the uh, – or 2000, uh, 2004 or five. Four. Anyway, I think it was four. four. No, four was the year the Pistons beat the uh, – Lakers. I think it was five. All right. Anyway, they take the hand check rules away. And as a result, if you, because you couldn't put your hands on the defense, um, or your defense couldn't put your hands on the players, a new style of defense came in because players were able to drive and get to the basket. The first year that they took hand checking away, Kobe, uh, I think Kobe averaged 35 or 36. It was after Shaq had been traded. He had one of the highest scoring years in the league because of the freedom of movement rules and the fouls. Look look up Allen Iverson's stats that year. Yeah, everybody's stats exploded, all the stars. Uh, so what the, what happened was the, the Spurs pioneered this, uh, a shrink-the-floor defense. So if you couldn't put your hands on the player, the, what you really needed was to bring help defense. So uh, Popovich and, and, and a lot of teams copied it was – 
draw the defense in, get everybody in the paint. It was called shrink the floor, and you couldn't score on them. And so what happened? If you if the defense is playing shrink the floor, what does the offense do? Stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. And the shrink the floor defenses and their success ushered in the stretching the floor idea, which uh, the Warriors and Steph uh, poured gasoline on. And we are now in the stretch the floor era. And now Popovich it doesn't like stretching the floor. He wants to go back to shrinking the floor. And Jackie, it sounds like if you want the hand checking, you want um, to help defenses. You don't like the uh, the current the current pace that, that uh, offenses are at. Well, it's not that. What I don't like is the fact that you can be a big man down in the post, like Embiid or even Giannis when he posts up. And you can be manhandled. You can get an elbow in your jaw. You can have someone can stick their fist in your gut, which is supposed to be illegal based on the hand checking rules. And you can be manhandled and there's no call. And yet James Harden or Steph Curry or whoever else is out at the three point line can up, you know, up fake and your, your, the, the fingernail on your thumb as you go flying past, (laughs) hits them, and they get three foul shots. That's what I object to. There's got to be a better way to enforce the rules down underneath and to give a little more leeway from behind the line. Well, and and building on that, I think that the unnatural acts to get fouls, they've got to get rid of that. So Thank you. Like, you know, the the little rip moves, you know, the – Yeah, the rip moves, exactly. the, the, The Chris Paul special who obviously is not the only one, he's, he is by far the best at that. They have taken, unless you're in the bonus, that's no longer a shooting foul. Well, what they have to do is that's no longer a defensive foul. If you swing your arm sideways into a guy who otherwise wouldn't touch you, it's either an offensive foul or it's no call. So they get rid of that. And look, if you fly sideways and fling up a bullcrap shot, Again, that's not a defensive foul. If you are intentionally going way out of normal shooting form just to draw contact, that's on you. Yeah, yeah th- and, th- that's not a foul. But I'll and say if this. you jump, if you jump into guys, that's right. not a foul, right? And so you know the the just the blatant foul hunt and the look like Harden get obviously he's a, he's a king of it. But you know there was also a lot of times because he's so good with the step back, he just gets fouled a lot out there. No, and I get so, that. But yeah, when 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 they're this unnatural, you know, fling your arms to the side or fly, you know, fly laterally while you're shooting a three, who you would never do that. So that's not a, that's not a defensive foul. I'll say this, you know, kind of as far as like, will there be, you know, are the are the Tony Allens of the world the, you know, Bowen actually had a three point shot, so he's a little bit different. But you know, Tony Allen, he'll he'll tell you. Guys with jump shots like his ain't going to be in the league anymore. Like he, he, he got in, he got out at the right time because while I think there, it's not necessarily that there's not a premium on defense, there's more of a premium on offense and space killers, spacing killers aren't going to be able to exist in the NBA anymore, I don't think. Well, it's hard for a playoff team to have a guy who can't shoot because when you get into a playoff situation, they just don't, they don't guard him and it becomes four on five. If you can't shoot, you better be an elite finisher. You better give that vertical space. And whether it's, you know, Giannis obviously is just a complete freak where he can do it, you know, 
dive into the basket, cutting or just creating on his own. But, you know, you at least better be a, uh, as a big man, if you can't shoot threes, you better be a dominant finisher. Right. And, and, you know, it's interesting to me with Giannis people, you know, they want him to shoot threes. They're encouraging him to shoot them. He shoots them. He doesn't shoot a high percentage. And you know what's going to happen in the postseason. If he's out there and they're trying to stretch the floor by bringing him out there, everybody's going to back off him like they do all the other players that can't shoot. And they're going to dare him to take it. Can I? Uh, well, the next. Yes, I, Andrew. I just wanted to present one counterpoint to defensive players going obsolete is if you are a rookie or a prospect that falls outside of the lottery and you go to a good team like Matisse Teibel. Yeah. It's a pretty clear way to for a defensive specialist to to stay in the league. Well, well but they, could, a, they could stay and, in the league. And but. and the best way the best way to stay in the league and to and to get paid a ton of money is to work on just catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. You know, and if he's a thirty five percent catch and shoot guy, he can he's gonna the make best, a ton of money. The best way to stay in the league is to be six seven and be able to switch on yep. the on the bigs and smalls. That's right. If you if you're six foot seven and you can and you can pick up a point guard on a switch or you can hold your own with a with a six ten or seven footer uh, on a switch and I don't mean shut him down but hold your own you can shoot thirty three percent on threes or even thirty percent on threes and you will stay in the league. That's what you got to be. Um, right, but, but you know Dorian Finney Smith's that guy. He never shot better than like thirty one ish percent from three going in the last year. Restricted free agent, not much market for him. Signs a three-year, $12 million deal. Suddenly, he's shooting 37 38% from three. And every scout I talk to at Mavericks game talks about what a great bargain he is. Look, there's always a, there's always a place for a guy like a Marcus Smart, who's not 6'7", who's probably closer to 6'2". But, but he plays but, like 6'7". But he plays he like 6'7". Six, six, yeah, seven, and he's three. tough. He takes charges. He dives after loose balls. His, the players respond to him. He's a, he's a natural-born leader. There's always going to be a place. In, in many ways, uh, Smart is the graduated version of Tony Allen. They yeah, both went to Oklahoma absolutely. State. Yep. But I will say this. Marcus Smart was a top-five draft pick <laughs> um, yeah. who's sort of become a grinder. I mean, that's a guy who is a major talent. And he's also um, he's got some playmaking skills. I'm looking up his three point, and and he's you know he's become he's a gotten way better. Solid, he's I mean, thirty six no, really last season, thirty five this season. Like as no, a league I, average three point shooter, he is a total stud. No, no, I listen. He's he's the most popular guy in Boston. There's he's the most popular Celtics <laughs> player. I'm not well, I was gonna say now that Brady's left, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Celtics. I'm the Celtics. Playing. I mean, people I just, love Kemba. They love Jason Tatum. But like it, Marcus Smart's the guy everybody just like adores. You know, it, it always made me smile earlier this season when people were trying to figure out if the Celtics could get into into various trade packages, and they were like, "Okay, well, you use Marcus Smart," and I go, "No, no, 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 no." Marcus yeah. Smart will not be traded. He's probably the last. I mean, maybe Tatum has a has a higher value in the organization, but short of that, Marcus Smart is is the Celtics. But um, I I think there will always if you the the next. I don't know what the next innovation in the league is. I wish I could tell you. I wish I wish I could tell you what the next special defense is going to happen. But the something will happen with the defenses. That will force the offense. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's the nature of the league. Um, and if you can defend, especially on ball uh, and in various guys and size, you can still make it as a defensive specialist. Um, 
For sure. All right. Well, Jackie and Tim, thank you so much. Thank Good night, you for gentlemen. To the Hoop Collective. We will talk to you over the weekend, early next week. Stay safe and thank you again. Thank you.